You're listening to 247 Real Talk. This is your host once again, Julian Perry. And for this episode, my guest is a husband, father, marine, entrepreneur, teacher, and political activist. His mission is to help people find happiness through community and purpose, often by overcoming bad policy decisions in government. He was the 2018 Libertarian New York State gubernatorial candidate, and he garnered about 100,000 votes, more than any previous candidate. His ability to connect with liberal and conservative voters across the political spectrum enabled the Libertarian Party to achieve automatic ballot access for the first time in New York State history. I'll be right back with Mr. Larry Sharp. Good evening, Larry. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being a guest on 247 Real Talk. How are you, my friend? I'm so happy that I'm here. I am so happy that you are here, um, especially since since I think this will be a really great conversation for my audience and for me. I am going to try to be as boring as I can. (laughs) So I'm going to start off um, as I can think of my questions my audience would ask. We hear a lot about many different political parties. But yep. what does it mean to be a libertarian? Well, it, you know, there are lots of libertarian activists who tend to be a tad radical here or there, which is fine. But the average libertarian politician and the candidate, the person who's out there trying to make things happen, just realizes that in general, the best way to get people to want to do anything is voluntarily. It's to get them to want to be better, to want to do the right thing. Well, how do you do that? Generally speaking, you want to change culture, you want to change environment. You realize that the only way to bring us together as a people, as Americans, is to not decide that I won the election, so you do everything I say, but instead to say, you know what, you can be as liberal as you want to be, as conservative as you want to be, let's just stop with this one-size-fits-all, zero-sum game, winner-take-all you must do what I say. Instead, let's leave more people alone. So, you know, there, there are some parallels I can draw to an independent then, correct? Um, it depends, right? If you're, generally speaking, independents are people who, who have a specific mission. Like, I'm an independent and I want to change this thing or that thing. That's what usually people who are independent are, right? They're, they're unhappy with some tax law. They're unhappy with some, you know, um, medical law. They're unhappy with something, so they run to change that thing. That's usually how independence runs. Libertarian is a philosophy. It's a philosophy that the third party is the right answer, and most of the time, freedom is going to be a better answer than any specific law. Okay, so... Having said all that, you have to have, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, and I probably will a lot tonight, but you have to have some opinion about the current political atmosphere, especially in our state government. It is the only way that we can repair 
what's happened in our current world. That is a third party. Right now, you have situations where either side doesn't actually run on any policy. They run on one simple idea. I'm not the other guy. That's how they run. So if you're a Democrat, you run as, well, I'm not the Republican. If you're a Republican, you run as, well, I'm not the Democrat. That's it. You don't actually run on a policy issue. You don't actually have any ideas. It's just, I'm not the other guy, so vote for me. This is not healthy. It's not a good way of doing things. And that's where we are right now. But if you have a third party, things change. Why? Is it magical? No, but it is human nature. Meaning right now, if I just yell at you and I go, see, Julian, you, you got to vote for me because if you don't vote for me, the Republican is going to win. If you don't vote for me, the Democrat's going to win. But if instead I said, you know, if you don't vote for me, the Republican's going to win, but there was a third party there, you would go, well, no. If I don't vote for you, maybe the Libertarian will win. And now what happens? I have to have an actual policy. I have to have actual ideas. I can't just go other guy bad. And that's the biggest difference. Once you have a third party, negative campaigning simply isn't as effective because it isn't if I lose one, I'm voting for the less of two evils. There's actually another option. So that's a helpful thing. But not just that. If I right now ask you, well, how are you going to fix my problem, whatever your problem is? Well, if I'm a Democrat, I don't have to. I just go, the Republican's way worse. The Republican's way worse than me. So that's it. I'm a Republican. I go, Democrat's way worse than me. But if all of a sudden I had to actually come up with a real policy, a way to fix it, that changes things. And I think having a third party really does make that change. So what happens if they both gang up on you and say, hey, the libertarian is, you know, we won't do what he does because what he's doing is wrong. They do it all the time. That's the norm. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they do. Yes. They all, but they don't do it that way. How they do it is through the law. See, what most people don't understand, and they'll always say this, well, you, you third party people, if you just, if you just got in the ballot and people would ask you, if you just did this, maybe people would do it. What people don't realize is they use the law to stop us. If you're a Democrat or Republican, here's what I can promise you. Your party sues to get us thrown off of the ballot every single year. They go to court to stop us from being on the ballot every year. And judges throw us off. Pretty tough to vote for me if I'm not on your ballot. And they do it all the time. So they use the law to get rid of us all the time. That's why we have to fight just to get access to be on a ballot so you can have an opportunity to vote for us. That's how bad it is. So they usually, they usually beat us up that way. That's their normal way of doing things. So what's the plan for 2022? Well, we're going to see if I have enough support and I might run again. It's possible. But either way, you, meaning anyone who's listening, should be thinking about third party. If you're thinking about another way to do something, because here's what I can promise you. If you vote for the left or the right, you'll get exactly the same thing. And here is my recent proof, a great example for recent proof, Afghanistan. If you go back to either the left or the right, when we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years, both the left and the right were like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Now we're getting out. Now they're all fighting. Oh my God, the world's going to end. Now it's ISIS-K. It's this problem. It's that problem. They're using even that to just blame each other and try to stay in. They want to stay in Afghanistan now. Of course they do. Of course they do. So I'm glad you brought that up. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, right? It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. It just matters they're part of the military-industrial complex. 
They're part of the same group of people. They pretend not to be, which is a lie. It's a good pretend, but it's not true. They're part of the same group. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, as I mentioned when I introduced you, you're a former Marine. And yep. I, I was going to do a separate sort of monologue episode on Afghanistan, and I still might, but um, I'd like to spend a moment on that and get your thoughts because, um, you know, and it ties in with what you're talking about, libertarian, because it is, you know, I, I, I don't know how I would describe myself politically, but I'm sort of even keel, you know, where I look for right and wrong, not party. And okay. I, I wish more people were like you. Well, that's that you know, exactly not the norm. I, you know, in, in general, and I've, I've had a few episodes where I've spoken out about this. In general, we, we, we the people, the voters, get very little out of elections once they're over. You know, we keep Absolutely going true. back and forth between these two parties and all these promises that never um, come to fruition. And I always yep. tell people that, you know, human nature allows it's just the way we wired you know we someone can go in for four years and can do really crappy stuff in the first two and a half years and somehow when it comes time to go to the poll we're able to forget about all of that and well because we're scared of the other guy right guys way worse right so we're not voting for our candidate we're voting against the other candidate you got it and so you know, when I, when I, and, and, and so what, why I touched on Afghanistan is because I know that even, you know, I'm, I'm sure as a libertarian, a lot of what you have to say becomes controversial at times. And I know that when I speak about Afghanistan, it's, it's controversial because I think that people need to look beyond, you know, I, I feel for, as a Marine yourself, I feel for those Marines that I've listened to who have said, you know, you go there, you deploy, you end up doing two or three tours. You meet good people who actually help you. In some cases, might even have saved your life in a situation. You meet their families, and you sort of, you know, you become almost a, 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 an adopted family. And now we're out leaving there, and these people who once helped you are at the mercy of the Taliban. And yep. yes, that's a valid point. I get you. But my concern is, what is the alternative? Do we just stay there forever? I mean, it's, you know, no, and, and left, I'm glad we left, but I'll go one step further. We should have never gone there at all. Well, yeah. Going I mean, there in yes. the first place is an embarrassment. We should be ashamed that we even went there. It was a terrible idea. Yes. But we're there. I get it. I wish I could change it. I can't. We're there. So now that we're there, get out. Right. And, I, out. and I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Did yeah. a good job getting out? No, he did a terrible job getting out. But I'm still very happy. That got us out. And I agree with you on all and everything you've said, but I'm, you know, even, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I don't have inside information to know exactly what talks took place prior to the withdrawal, but I do know that the, the initiation of the talks, number one, started under the previous administration. But, you know. And I'll give, I'll give, I'll give Trump credit for that. I mean, right. here's the reality. The, the military industrial complex actually was able to keep, um, to act, that was able to keep Obama from getting out. Obama wanted to get out too, but he kowtowed to the military industrial complex, which is a very powerful bureaucratic system. This is not something to be toyed with. It's a serious group of people who have a lot of money and who don't want to leave 
Afghanistan. So you know, they put a lot of pressure on on Obama, and he cowed out. I get it. Bush didn't want to leave, so he didn't cow out. He just never left because he didn't want to leave. But Obama did want to leave. He just felt like he couldn't. Now enter um, Trump. Trump also wanted to leave. They put pressure on him. But finally, Trump was like, I don't care. I'm out. Kudos to Biden for actually standing up and leaving. I'm sure they put pressure on him. The reality of it is it was going to be messy no matter what. And the reason why is because of bureaucratic sabotage. It probably would have been better under Trump only because he had less, um, he had less insiders in his cabinet. So probably better on Trump, but it still would have been bad under Trump because they didn't want to leave. They wanted it to go badly so we could go back in again. They don't, they still don't want us to leave. If they could, they'd have us go back again because there's literally a trillion dollars. And when I say a trillion, I mean that number. There's literally a trillion dollars in there that, as they see, that's their money going away. They are not happy about that. Yeah, but uh, yes, and, and, I, and I think a lot of people get that, you know, even without knowing the specific details like you do, that money is always involved, especially when, you yes. know, government's involved. But the thing I wanted to also bring the attention to that, I, as I said, I hear a lot of different um, Marines and social media talking about their tours, et cetera. You know, and maybe you can shed your thoughts on this, we apparently trained 300,000 Afghan troops alongside us for, what, 10 years or whatever, of 10 of the 20 years, to be able to police, for lack of a better term, their country once we left. And th- those 300,000 supposedly well-trained troops could, were com- completely vanished in 11 days. And, yep. you know... You know, someone said something to me the other day. They said, you know, they, 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 in certain circumstances, welfare works. But in a circumstance like that, it doesn't. Because I think, the, you know, the, it just seems like the, the Afghan troops just got comfortable with us being there. And it wasn't about them getting to any elite uh, level to ever uh, protect their country. And what bothers me is, as patriots, we say, you know, we what we would do for the United States of America, these people weren't willing to do for themselves. Yep. So They didn't want it. Yeah. This is a, this is a, a problem that we have with, with nation building, right? You'll hear people often say things like, well, look, we did it in Japan. We did it in Germany after World War II. Yes, but Japan and Germany were already democracies. They were already democracies. People think that, you know, Hitler didn't take over Germany in a, a violent, you know, attack. It was, it was already a democracy. He got voted in. The Japanese had a democracy. These countries already had democracies. They were broken democracies, no doubt. But they were still democracies. It's a whole different issue. It's a whole different world. You've got this completely wrong if, we think, if we're thinking, well, we can just give people democracy. No, we can't. They have to want it. and be ready for it. And to be forward, the Afghanis weren't. Yeah, and, and, and so I, I'm saying this too so that Many of those Marines I've seen on social media when they hear this podcast will find some uh, solace in the fact that, you know, I know how they feel because of their personal relationships. But if they look at this in a purely logistical manner and, they, and, and to me, you know, some of them should be a little bit upset because I'm sure they spent a lot of resources, probably lost a few lives training these troops. And these troops just, yep. you know, had no intention of doing this themselves. It was almost like. You know, some as I as I think about it, I feel like if, if you know an Afghan probably said, "Oh, let me go ahead and join the military because I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get the good life. You know, I'm not gonna have to do anything." That's exactly what they did. 
and and we need to recognize that. The other thing that I'm thinking about too is the more important point is it's a bigger point here, and the bigger point is we actually knew that ten years ago. Right. That's the issue. We knew it ten years ago, but there was just so much money that people were making and contractors were making. There's a revolving door of generals going into, you know, becoming contractors. It's a revolving door. So they all make money on it. So why would they stop? If you've noticed, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, right now, if you go on any TV show to look for, you know, what's the newest pundit telling me the new thing I should think, all of these people were now bringing them back, you know, from the Bush years, from the Obama years. And all of them are saying, well, you know, we've got to go back in. we got... ISIS-K is going to get us and stuff. Utter, total garbage. Absolutely not true. Total fabrication. None of them are. The reality of it is, no one is going to come get us. That's a story they've been telling us forever. We've left countries before. An example I'll give you is Vietnam. We dropped more bombs on Vietnam than we dropped on Germany and Japan in World War II. Where are all the Vietnamese people coming over to attack us and kill us? Nowhere. That means it. They made it up. It's complete and utter garbage. No one is coming to get us. They never were. The reason why people attacked us in 9-11 or attacked us whenever is because we were there. If we weren't there, they wouldn't have attacked us. That's the reason why they attacked us. The second we leave, they stop attacking us. What do, what do militant Islamists hate more than Americans or anybody else? Other militant extremists. They're always in perpetual civil war. If we just leave them alone, they'll fight each other. How do we know that? That's literally what's already happened. We've been gone like five minutes, and ISIS-K is already fighting the Taliban. That, we left Iraq. What was happening? Sunni and Shia uh, Muslims fought each other in a sectarian war. It's every single time. There is no real threat for us if we just leave them alone. Walk away, and they will fight themselves. Why? Because they're still in a civil war. We've never let them finish it because of uh, British and then French rule. It was the same thing in Vietnam. It hasn't changed. Yeah, and I remember um, just the other day I watched a recap on YouTube of um, debates between, it was then um, McCain and Obama who were going for the candidacy or going for the presidency. And I think McCain told Obama, you know, you don't know anything about foreign policy and, and they're the terrorists in Iraq. And Obama came back and said, there were no terrorists in Iraq until we went there. That's correct. It's exactly correct. Yes. That's exactly correct. We make, we make more terrorists. We make more terrorists. Our bombing is literally terrorist acts. That's what they are. And think then... About I mean, if you could think, think about yourself, right? If it was you, and you were living your life, and you saw some guy, whoever this guy might be, you can imagine whoever he wants. You saw him kill someone you love. Say your sister, as an example. You watched him blow your sister to pieces with no recourse. Then your friend got mad because he's, it's the same person also blew his sister to pieces. Now you decide, you know what, I'm going to go do something about it. You try to do something about it. Your friend does too. And your friend goes to do something about it. He gets killed. That's how they see us. Of course they want to keep fighting. Of course they do. Because they see no end in sight. And the only way to win is to keep bombing Americans. Well, once the Americans leave, then they'll fix themselves. What they actually want to do is fix themselves. But we just won't 
And then the other thing I thought about too was as reflecting on the on the the conversations I've heard is you know I I I I'm, again I'm all for withdrawing I I I know that like I said it wasn't I, I don't even want to say anymore especially listening to what you said I'm not necessarily want to say that it was done incorrectly because it's information I don't know I as you said there's no there was no it's clean okay. way it was it was done poorly no, but there's no clean way of getting out of there there just isn't also true yeah. Right? And the thing about it, I also point out to a lot of these guys is, you know, you, you could you could probably make a little better better argument if this was Allied forces. It's not, you know, it's 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 American forces. You know, if this was something that the whole world believed in, then you know, we're all the troops from the other countries. Yep. You know, it's just it's just us, and and I don't know that we we you know as as america you know we've got enough domestic problems which we're gonna you know we're gonna head right back to in our conversation in a moment but absolutely yes. you know why are we why why do we have to police other people's problems to the rest of the world you know um um you know i they, would argue that we don't i'm with you yes so and and, and the thing about it is for those two who feel that we should have stayed because of the afghans who helped or what's going to happen or whatever I often wonder if they stop to think when they're speaking. You know, just look what happened the other day—the the bomb from that killed what thirteen American troops and how many have Afghan. What happens to the American yep. lives that keep get keep being lost in this? In the, you know, who's dealing with those parents and brothers and sisters? And you know, mm-hmm. this this just doesn't make sense. It, it it makes no sense to be anywhere for twenty years. It just it just you know. Yep. And and I and I and I say that, and I'm going to come right back home now because one of the not one maybe three or four episodes that I rant I've ranted on is I've met so many people here who are um really good people working really hard, and and I and I, I look at issues where they're struggling, and I'm trying to find out you know what it is exactly, and then I it turned out that. I guess just in my case, I guess it just happened to the people I ran into. The issue is student loans. And I I draw the parallel because how dare you spend a billion dollars a day or whatever it is or whatever it comes up to in another country. How do I have a friend of mine who, and I can't call his name, obviously, who was a colonel in the uh, Marines who said he sat on loads of money in C-130s being shipped out of the countries as payments. Oh, yeah. I saw it all the time. Yes. And you and we Literally boatloads of cash. Yes. And you are telling me, as a government for the people, you've got people who are literally, who who, I've read sad stories of people giving up their homes and can't pay their mortgage, not because of anything else but their student loans. And the thing is, we, we, you know, it's... I make reference a lot of times, and you can probably tell a little bit by my accent that I wasn't originally from America. I'm an American citizen, but I wasn't originally from America. And the thing is, in the Caribbean, most of the Caribbean islands who don't have nowhere near the wealth of the United States, for their citizens, education is free all the way through college. And the whole intent of that process is, you know, they give the people the tools to, to, to work to when they're finished to work for the country to build the country. But because they're okay. islands or whatever, you know, they just simply can't support that. And a lot of people leave and come to America, the land of immigrants. Yep. And so we of benefit course. from that. So if you're going to invest in your own people, if I want to go to college to learn something, I'm not leaving America. I'm not going to Afghanistan to work. 
Okay, I'm working right. right here in America. You're the benefit of my education. And then you turn around, you know, this, these schools charge crazy prices. You, you know, you, there is no alternative in a sense because it comes down to, you know, you'd wonder why someone would go to, a, to, to an Ivy League, Ivy League college or something. And then you recognize that when they come out, the job market is, is as such that that may be the difference between getting a job and not and, and making a little bit more money or not. But what you put in and what you graduate with, there's no balance in the economic uh, part of it. Well, the reason yeah. is, and I'm a libertarian, so you know I'm going to have this answer, is because of the government overreach. The, the reason is when the government guarantees the money, why does, the, why does anybody care, right, how much money is spent? It's not my money, it's government money. Right. And the money's guaranteed, right? So that's number one. The money's guaranteed. That's problem number one. There's more problems than that. But that's problem number one, guaranteed government money. That is never going to be a good thing. Because now there's no incentive for the, for the college to do anything worthwhile. What if the college education sucks? Right. So what? Right. They get paid. What if the person goes bankrupt and can't make any money? So what? They get paid. Exactly. So the college just says, all I'm going to do is give you a piece of paper. That's it. And I'll charge whatever I want, and you'll shut up and pay it, because we're all in this grift, this government grift, all together. Right. That's how that works. The issue is the government should not be guaranteeing loans. What the government should be doing is doing how car dealers do it. Car dealers, go buy a car. Car dealers, they actually, they actually finance their own cars, right? If you go buy a Toyota, whatever you buy, you're not actually buying, you're not having a bank, you know, um, finance your car. Toyota finance follows your, finances your car. Toyota finances its own cars. It makes money on the back end through interest. You want the, um, the, 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 your college education to be worth something? Have the colleges finance your education themselves. Allow them to have their own banking arm. They will finance it. What does that mean? If their college education sucks, people can't get jobs, all those loans are defaulted on. They'll have a crap, they'll have, uh, they, they won't, they'll have, they'll have a price to pay for bad education. So they'll either have good education and good job placement, or they'll lose money. It's literally that simple. That's a really interesting perspective. I've never heard, because I was going to come up with a different perspective which I'll tell you in a moment, but that's, that. I've never heard it from that perspective. I'm, I'm, um, well, I'll tell you what else would happen. If you had that kind of issue, you wouldn't just have expensive education. The education that would be more expensive would be that which would be the, the pieces that get you more money right. by default. Right. Right. Because I would know if I'm getting, say, a humanities degree, and I believe that in humanities, I'm not going to make much money. That degree would cost less by default. Why? Because I'm not going to be able to make enough money, so they would never finance it. Right. But yeah. now say I want to be an engineer. Well, why am I make some money there? That's going to be more expensive. And it should be. It's a more valuable degree. So it will change how you decide to go to college. It gets government out of the way. Colleges will now have to actually have education that employers want or they don't get paid. Right. And the thing about it is, so we're, we're I mean, I, you know, thank you for that, first of all, because I, like I said, I've never heard or thought about that perspective before that approach. And that's, that's one I'm going to think about and probably speak more of in another um, episode. That's a libertarian view, see? <laughs> um, but the other thing I think about is looking at where we are now. Um, I know that, uh, was it Bernie Sanders had said it, Biden alluded to it that of, of forgiving, you know, uh, student loans. And I, and I kind of yeah. think that they're at the point that they need to. Um, well, there are two ways around this. There are some problems with just forgiving. 
right? Number one, you haven't punished the schools at all, right? And you should. Number two, you haven't punished the banks at all, and you should. Number three, what about all the people who worked really hard and paid their own stuff? Now, do they get a credit or something? What happens to them? Number four, when people have already paid off their loans, what happens to them? So just, just forgiving, only doing that sends a lot of bad messages. Okay, so let so me give me a second to respond to that because I oh, have ahead, thoughts please. about that too. And one is that yep, I, can, I can imagine this scenario, you know, this scenario where I paid off my student loans, the next guy you know, comes along, the government forgives it, he didn't have to pay it off, I feel badly about it. And yep. I and I get that a hundred percent. But you know what? I also understand that things have changed, times have changed. This this challenge in society are different, even with the pandemic and everything else. You know, having um, it, 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 I don't. It, the other things that you you referred to, yes, we can we can touch on those too. But in terms of, I I've I've dismissed the argument now that well, I paid mine, so why shouldn't you? Because. We, we evolve and we have to change. We're in trouble, okay? And I know as a libertarian, you have to agree with me. We're in trouble, okay? What, you, what, what this is situation, this student loan, because of all the bad things that were done, because the colleges were not held accountable, because of all these things, we, we're in a crisis now that we, you know, we were not in that state when you know, a lot of other people paid off their loans. The educations yep. have gone sky high. People can't get jobs to make close to what they need to pay back their student loans. And then- yep. Yeah, turn around now, and it's not something where you know where there's a lot of forgiveness with. And now you're talking about people. You know, I, I mean, I heard the story the other day of two people who are doctors, and I guess they specialize you in this. Two of so. if you want to, but I'm giving going to give you some reality here. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it here is, if you piss those people off, they don't vote for you. And if they don't vote for you, you're not going to do it because that's how our system works. Right. So you may be right. I'm just saying what you're saying is probably not realistic. Because of the, the dynamic of politics. if I piss off a bunch of people, they're not going to vote for me, so I'm never going to do it. Right, politics. Yes, that's politics. the that's politics the bottom line. Yes, and 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 I see it right now with the whole um, even in New York City with the whole pandemic and the decisions that are being made around return to work and hybrid and who can't because you know I I personally I. Was, was was blessed enough. I had COVID and, and came through it, mm-hmm. and um, I'll be returning to the office soon. And when I first heard the news, I had, you know, I, I that I was returning, I had this fear. I mean, this this sure. you, you know the environment of of people that I've seen for all these years. I've taken for granted people coughing and sneezing and and all these things and wondering why, I, you know, today I felt well and tomorrow I, I have a cold and, all, you know, and those were little things, you know, like even the flu to a certain extent that, you know, it was sort of pale in comparison to COVID. And, sure. and, and so you're throwing me right back into this environment where there's still something like a Delta variant. And then I heard this, I forgot the name of the person from the CDC who said, um, he's not worried about the Delta variant. He's worried about, uh, you know, a variant two or three uh, instances away where the, it's immune to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And we and the thing about it is during these last 17 months or whatever, we've seen in many, I've, I've witnessed it in my own environment, productivity go up because of the simple you know, fact that number one, people can get up out their bed and rather than, 
go bathe and spend an hour and a half or two hours to get to work to commute or whatever. You know New York. Um, yeah. They can they they get up from their bed. They go to their their computer. They have a few meetings. They do some work. They stop. They take a shower. Have you know, and and they have you more time with no, their family. I, I have I have a lot of um I have a lot of uh, clients in my day job um that have worked from their second home. Right, they're wealthy New Yorkers, and they have two homes. You know, wealthy New Yorkers tend to have two homes. Right, uh, one in New York City and one someplace else. If you're wealthy, you either live you have the city in you know this uh, in like you know uh, upstate New York, or you have it in Connecticut, or Jersey Shore, or Florida, or you know Colorado. You have a second home if you're wealthy in New York. Right, and many of them have worked there; they haven't come back. Right, and so the the argument that I heard was, you know, they're going to force as many people back to work in New York city because of not two things, politics and, and revenue. hundred percent. Yeah. And um, they, they, the city needs people back. So if you're a city worker, they're going to force you back in. They're going to force you back in, not just because of you. They want you to come back in the city again, not only because of you, but also because of all the people who have to service you. And what I mean by that is if you look around right now, what you'll see is when the wealthy aren't, here, when they aren't doing what they, quote, should be doing, then the other people don't show up either. For every wealthy person who comes into the city, think about all of the people that service them in some way. Right. All the people, like the, the people who, you know, who do their dry cleaning, the people who drive, the people who do this and that. There's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff in New York City to support the wealthy. They go away, they have a problem, but not just the wealthy. When you come into the city, you got to take a subway or a taxi, right? One of those two. You got you got to go do all types of different things. You got to you have to um, you know, eat. You got to uh, you know, um, go see your friend. You got to go have a drink with your buddy. So, all those things they want you to keep doing it. And that's why they're going to try to force you in. Because the city's not going to recover the way it used to. Right? It, it just can't. The city's not going to recover the way it used to be. It, right. it, it, it it's impossible. But because of that it will not the same way. Right. So because of that change, and I, when we talk about recovering, you know, if we look through history in, in economic times and the, the roller coaster of, of, uh, of economics, you know, some people argue that, you know, we, we, we elect politicians, and this is in the ideal sense, um, to solve problems, to come up with new ways theory, to generate yeah. revenue. And so to, you know, and I think the people that, you know, and I'm one of those people that, that joins that conversation because having experienced COVID myself, and I, I can honestly tell you, I've never, I've, I've had measles, I've had chicken pox, I've had flu, I've, I've never, I've never experienced anything like COVID. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fear is, as, you know, as we evolve as people, as a society, Obviously, the, the and that's why they talk about superbugs. Those things are evolving too. And mm-hmm. I personally am one of the people who believe that we're not going to have to wait another hundred years for another pandemic. So we haven't done anything differently in terms of other than the fact that we're still being forced to wear masks, which I agree with. Um, I think that I just think it's a logical thing to do. That's my personal thought. Um, and and I also think going around seeing certain human beings and human behavior, it's my benefit, even if other people decide not to wear it, to wear it because, like I said, people sneeze openly. They haven't learned to cover their nose or their mouths or anything like that. Um, we haven't done anything. I am not against masking at all. What I'm against 
is the mandate. You start forcing people to wear masks, then guess what? They actually haven't learned anything. Well, right? well, well, they don't well, actually believe it. Well, let me finish this thought the same for in the sense that um, I, where I was going, first of all, was that I've looked at, you know, they, they wipe down buildings, they wipe down desks, they wipe down, but the, the air filtration systems, the massive ventilation systems, these buildings and all that, they haven't, you know, I, as far as I have followed what's been going on, a lot of that has not been dealt with. And I think that we're just uh, you know, ticking time bomb waiting for the next pandemic, the next super bug that you know, just spreads like wildfire because we're all herded into these buildings in, in, in large numbers. Um, in terms of the mass mandate, I am, so, I, I understand that you don't want to force anything on people. I get that. Yep. But I'm also depending on people to be logical as well. You know, I, I, I ran into, a, I ran into a nurse, but hang on a second, I ran into a nurse at a very busy doctor's office, and he was telling me, he says, you know, you realize that every year in the United States, we have about 61,000 people who die from the flu. He said, this year, we saw 2,000 cases. Why? Because everybody had on a mask because of COVID. People weren't getting the flu. This is from the medical community. Or people got COVID instead of the flu. But there are two different illnesses, and they're able to differentiate them. And the fact he's saying that we did things to protect our lives because COVID was taking our lives, and in, as a result, let me let me, be, let me be clear again. I'm not against masks, but what I'm saying is what you're saying now may or may not be true. And the reason is if you look at what happened, particularly in New York State, there's a thing called presumed COVID deaths. There's a bunch of people that they don't know if they had COVID or not. They've assumed they've had COVID. There's like up to 20%. So maybe they all had COVID. Maybe they didn't. We can't be sure. And some people died of something else and they just simply had COVID. So the numbers aren't exactly clear. So for someone to tell me that they know that the reason why they didn't get the flu is because of them wearing masks, I'm not sure that's accurate. It might be, but I, I can't be so clear to say that's true when I don't think we're actually sure exactly the number of people who passed away of COVID or not. Right, that, but that's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what the nurse was saying is the numbers were reduced. Not, he didn't, you know, he said they were down to, there were 2,000 people, so the numbers were reduced. What he's saying is, collectively, what we did to protect ourselves from COVID, including mask wearing, seemed to, in their, in their evaluation of illnesses, seemed to at least reduce you know, oh, I, that's what you mean. Okay, that makes sense. I buy that. So, you know, for me personally, I'll be wearing a mask because, like I said, the fear of just having COVID and, and struggling with 106, 107 degree fever and breathing and all of that is not something I want to experience again. And and it's something that, it, you know, if you've actually had it, um, has a, you know, has a, a psychological impact too when it terms of just going into large numbers of, of people. And, you know, so I'm just worried about that we may not I be necessarily totally believe what you said, and I understand why you would do what you're doing. You you should do whatever makes you feel the safest. What I'm trying to get at is if you mandate it, and that's what people want to do. They want to mandate it. You can if you want to, but you're already seeing as you mandate, people fight back. They're right. not logical. They're emotional. Right. People are literally, the unvaccinated people are literally dying of COVID and their friends and family are still not getting vaccinated. 
Why are they not getting back to you? You ask them. It's not because they don't trust us or trust that. It's because it's being forced. So now there's an environment of us versus them. We the worst thing we possibly could have done. We literally politicized a vaccine. How dumb was that as us as a culture? So basically we, what, you're exact, what you're really saying is a, it's more of a psychological thing of saying. Absolutely. Yes. I can, I can, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And, and we really should not have, we should not have politicized any of this. We shouldn't have politicized masks. We shouldn't have politicized vaccines. But we did now. And since we've done it, it's not going away. The people who aren't vaccinated aren't getting vaccinated. You want to force them? They're just going to fight you. They're going to fight you in the streets, literally. It's already happening. They're fighting you on airlines. It's not going to work. You, you can come up with any logical answer you want. It is not going to work. Force is a good band-aid. It's not a good long-term answer ever. And it's not going to work here either. It'll make people feel good. Right. It's not going to work. The only thing that works is allowing them to do what they have to do whenever they have to do it. You might go, but Larry, then there's going to be that next variant that's going to be worse. Yeah, maybe. But here's the issue. If you force them, it's going to happen anyway, and they're still not going to get vaccinated. If you don't force them and you allow them to make their own decision, eventually they will figure out what the right answer is, and then they'll do it. It is a long-term solution to allow people to make their own decisions. And that sucks sometimes. But in reality, a short-term solution seems like it works well, but it doesn't. In the long run, it's going to hurt us. Well, you know, there's a part of that, um, that body of people, too, because I've heard a few of them, and I've sat there and looked at them while they're speaking, and, and they're, they're basically saying that, you know, COVID is a hoax. It's not true. It doesn't exist. You got you know more people than you can that you would actually realize who have who have that thinking as well. So now, if that person believes it, how was a mandate going to force them? Right. It's not right. In fact, they're going to see that as ah, that's part of the whole conspiracy. Conspiracy, correct? Believe. Right. You're just going to reinforce their thought process already, so they're not going to do it. And I know that makes some people go nuts. I get it. I'm just being forward. That's how humans no, work. Yes. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that to double back to our economy in New York. Okay. Um, well, we didn't even, we never finished um, uh, student loans. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's been such a great thing. I've, I've, yes. So where were we in student loans? Um you were, you were talking about, um, I was going to say that I don't want the government to just forgive. Right. Because that makes people unhappy. But I do think the government should do something. I agree because it's the government's fault, right? The government backed all these things in, in a, a system that encouraged scamming, that encouraged grift, that, in, that taught the, the, the universities to have a crap product and not care about it. So the government has to do something. I agree. But I think the government has to do something a little bit different. So something like, and I'm making this up as a sake of argument just to understand my concept. Forgive half of the loan immediately. Half of it just goes away. Then allow everyone to renegotiate the remaining half. Then uh, don't back it, meaning if you have to go bankrupt, then you go bankrupt. Then have the actual colleges hold the note. So the colleges have to hold the note. If they don't get paid, the colleges are in trouble. So make that shift. And... Anyone who's already paid up their student loan, give them a credit or a loan credit to go back to school again. You do that or something like that. I, I made those numbers up because I haven't done the homework and detailed numbers. But you do something like that, 
and it makes everybody better and no one gets smashed. Yeah, that's 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 a good suggestion too, because I think that if if we can print all that money to 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 ship overseas, we certainly can give a tax credit to those people who pay their student loans for X amount of years. Absolutely. Or, yes. But I think I, I, but I think we're, kind of we're yep. both on the same page that if we don't do something soon, we're wrecking ourselves because this is a this yes, student loan student loans in the United States is an epidemic now. And people are, I mean, I talk to people, like I said, who have two, three hundred thousand dollars in student loans because, and I'll tell you what the progression was, and it ties in exactly what you were saying based on the college. So they went and they did an associate degree, for example, and I know someone who went through this, I'm just thinking of their case, and they got the associate degree, and before they even started paying it back, you know, it was like, you know, you can't go anywhere with that. They weren't getting any kind of job that, you know, that was where, so they went back and they got their bachelor's. And they got their bachelor's, okay, we're out there. And then people turn to you and say, well, bachelor's are a dime a dozen. You got to do something better than that. Yep. So they went and they got their master's. And they got their master's. I'm talking to someone I can specifically think about. And they got their master's. And it still didn't seem to work. And they said, well, you know, your master's, you need to specialize in something. So they went and they got a second master's. right? Yep. And they got a little bit of a bump out of it, but nothing equal to where they are now. And basically... They've got a student loan payment. I think they told me last time it was eleven hundred and something dollars a month. Yep, that's a common thing. And imagine if the colleges were responsible for that debt. Right. Imagine if the colleges were responsible for that debt. You would have got a better degree, or they would have said, "Don't get this degree," or they would have made it cheaper, or they would have had job placement. Or they would have job placement, any of those things. Right. Because it would then be in their best interest for you to pay back that loan. Right. Which right now, they don't get to pay that loan back. Whatever. It's not their money. They got paid. Not their money. They can't pay no matter what. They don't care. Well, I'm hoping that, I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, on the federal level, it's a whole touchy situation now because. I've got my own feelings about it and I may, you know, I may take a blasting from some of my audience on it, but I think that, we had this polarized society that was the result of the last election. I think that um, Biden made some promises. And I think before the next election, he better come through because, um, you know, I think, I think our people are judging a little bit differently these days. And there, a lot of times their, their votes, you know, yes, it may be along party lines, but it's also emotional. Yes, of course. You're correct. Yes. So I think Politics that is emotional. Absolutely. Yes. I think he has to, you know, very careful because I think people are struggling and I don't think, um, because one point he said, forgive. And then he said, I think he got all the way down to 50,000. Then he said, he's down to 10,000, $10,000. So many people I talk to will do absolutely nothing for them. You are correct. Yet again, you are correct. My friend. So, yes. I don't, I don't know absolutely. where, you know, and, and so this, you, you have to have the reason why he can't just do it just do it. It's because he'll make bankers angry. Right. He can't just do it because he'll make colleges angry, which is why you have to have a hybrid model, right? And you have to allow them to be some debt remaining. You have to allow them to renegotiate. But the, I mean, if you, the, the, the simple example you came up with, I mean, I know you haven't obviously sat down and thought through all the logistics, but to simply say, you know, get rid of half of it right away, renegotiate yep. out of half, you know, I, yep. I mean, I think, I think you'd have so much more support and then give a tax credit yep. to those who paid. I think, like you said, you satisfy probably 90% of the people, you know, who That's have correct. different, different I mean, feelings. Imagine if, if, his, if 
his number right now is 1100 as an example. Well, if you, if you immediately get rid of half, well, that's 550. Yep. You renegotiate. It's now it's 275. Yes. So now it's 25 months. That's doable. You can survive that. Yes. 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 I, I, I'm hoping that they do. And the thing about it is, I think, you know, he's, he, there's been a few blunders made here. And I think the other blunder was when they did the last um, pause on student loans. Yep. They should never have, whether it was true or not, I think the first thing I noticed was they came out and they said when they did, this is the last time. Yeah. And I think that was a huge mistake because you, first of all, they tied themselves into a box. Yep. Okay. And you, you've started alienating people by immediately saying that because Look, I've, I've heard of people who the kids, they've got kids that are 18, 16, and 12. The 18-year-old is out of, you know, is not going to college or, or left college or whatever to go to work because the, the, the parents were the breadwinners. They lost both parents. You know, there's, yep. there's a lot of situations here where come January 31st, the, the effects of, of, of the pandemic will not be over. It won't be over for years. I agree. The damage we're doing to both out to the, the biggest issue that people don't get is the lockdowns in the long run are going to be far worse than the deaths. In the short run, the deaths are worse. Obviously, death and fitness is always going to be worse up front. Right. But in the long run, the lockdowns will be worse because we didn't do a good job of it. Right. I had a whole different plan. You know, if, if you care, you can go to my Sharp Way YouTube page. I literally have a separate playlist which is called COVID-19 Response, March 2020. Right. This was 18 months ago. I actually put my policies, what I would have done, how I would have dealt with, dealt with this, and how I paid for it. And I didn't want us to do any type of stop or pause. I wanted to create an environment where people who felt like they might infect others could be separated. And we should have done that through our local communities. We could have. It would have been a challenge, but we could have done it to separate people. So to make sure the people who are older and have more of a chance of having you know, problems are separate from those who are younger and may want to roll the dice if they want to with their life, that people could still work. But not just that. We had, we had to literally put a stop on the banks, period, stop on the banks, and then do a bailout of the financial institutions while we let people work um, without having to pay bills. This way, people can stay in their places. Right. They can physically stay and not be displaced or feel like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Am I going to lose everything? We could end that part because that's a horrible piece too. Well, yeah, the, the, the thing about the, you know, and I, and I said on the episode about, I don't know how many episodes ago, but the whole thing with the rent moratorium is that no, they, when they put that in place, they, didn't, they don't seem, it, it seems to me they don't have an exit plan. None. They have no idea. They did whatever was a Band-Aid. Yeah, and, and, and that's horrible there's, because. And there's no repercussions. You have people who are Democrats are still going to vote Democrat. Republicans are still going to vote Republican. They don't lose anything. There is literally no downside to them. They're still going to blue districts stay blue because gerrymandering. Red districts stay red because gerrymandering. No one pays a price. I want to know a very important statistic, and that is Congress generally has about an 11 or 12 percent approval rate. That's how low it is. Right. Yet 95 percent of all Congress people are reelected. Yes, that's an yes, that's a very interesting statistic too because and yeah. I and I speak about that time to time too because you know, it is it is we we people the problem with I think from that perspective from looking at a voter perspective is 
we lack any kind of unity. We can't get along enough to elect people that whatever party you come from, overall their policies will benefit us as people. And so mm-hmm. this, you know, these people, and the thing is, when you when you get new politicians, especially, everything they say sounds right. And I, I think in many cases, you know, when they're when they're green to politics at that level, they have all these intentions. But then they get in there and they become one of the you know one of the one of the one of the boys. They 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 get yep. the perks, they get the everything else, and then their job shifts from doing what they need to do for us to making sure they get reelected so they can continue to live that life. You got it. Okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. when um, there was a government shutdown. Don't ask me what year I remember it was, but I remember there was a government shutdown. I, and I'm saying to myself, Congress went on vacation. And I'm saying, yep. you, we elected you. We are, the, the people who were guarding, the, the Capitol Police who were guarding the politicians were not getting paid. But these people had the nerve to take a vacation. And I'm saying that's not Absolutely. what we, 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 we elected you for. And so, you know, we, but, we, what, but here is my answer when it comes to this. My answer when it comes to this is, again, third party. Why? When, when there's a third party, when there's a libertarian party, now all of a sudden someone can cross the aisle. Right now, if you're a Democrat, you can't cross the aisle with Republicans. You lose your seat. Right. You're a Republican. You can't cross the aisle with Democrats. You, you lose your seat. You can't. But Libertarian can and must because there aren't that many of us. Right. We have to literally become the peacemakers and make things work. We don't have a choice. That is our glory. That's what makes us good. I'll give you a live, actual uh, uh, example of this. George Floyd. George Floyd dies, and when he dies, what do Republicans do? They yell, back to blue. What do Democrats do? They yell, defund the police. Who I tried to fix anything? I'll tell you who. Libertarians did. We had one Libertarian at the time. We had one Libertarian in Congress at the time. It was a, a gentleman by the name of Justin Amash. He's no longer there, but he was. He actually came up with a bill to end qualified immunity as a way of starting to fix the police problem. And guess what he had to do? He had to cross the aisle. There was only one of them, but he couldn't do it by himself. And he actually got Democrats and Republicans to put that bill together. That actually happened. It was the first tripartisan bill ever. And that actually happened because of a libertarian. That is what I mean. You can fix this. It takes a third party. Someone who can cross the aisle. That's the important piece. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, and it also takes the people. And it takes the people in yes, the sense correct. that we have to stop doing this, um, the, you know, this 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 uh, sort of um, alignment with party, irrespective of what the cat. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this. You've, I think you've been in politics long enough. When you hear a politician say the dumbest thing, and when you speak to someone from that party, they'll they'll tell you everything to rationalize what he said to make it sound like it was intelligent. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, wait a minute. You, you can't fix what he said. You know, but yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to see. I have some friends who are, who, who have different, um, a different ideology than I do, obviously. And, and, and to hear them sometimes justify certain things. I am, I, I, I am, it's mind blowing that they, as a human yeah. being, they can't, they can't say, no, this is wrong. This is right. No, they find, you know, it's, it's, it's almost to the point where someone, if their candidate 
went out on national TV and murdered someone in cold blood for personal reasons, they would come back with a with you know, a reason why it was justified. Absolutely. Well, it's my guy. See, so it's different. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's all done. So let's go. Let's go back to New York now, on the economy. Okay. What would be? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tie two things in here. Let's say Larry Sharp became the governor tomorrow. Two things: the economy, and, and I know you have a a, um, a a plan about lowering taxes and tolls by leasing name rights to bridges and tunnels. I've seen that you mentioned that. Tell me about that. Well, the reality of it is, we want to have a way of raising money to pay for things without having to keep raising taxes. We are hammered when it comes to taxes. I mean, New Yorkers are just devastated when it comes to taxes. So we want to have a better way of making this work. And it's not easy. That's not an easy solution. But it can be done. And you do it through good ways of raising money. One of those, as I mentioned, was the idea of leasing out naming rights from bridges and tunnels. Right? We still own the bridge or the tunnel, but we lease out the naming rights so we allow for like a tunnel to have a name. Right? So instead of it being the Lincoln Tunnel, it's the you know Google Tunnel or the McDonald's Bridge or whatever. I don't care. You pick whoever wants to pay the money. And people often say, well, Larry, that sounds terrible to look bad. It might look bad, maybe, but the alternative is we still keep paying $15 in tolls for bridges, and we still have a broken MTA, and our taxes are still high as can be. Or we raise several billion dollars, yes, we could raise billions of dollars, um, and pay for the MTA, and actually the poor and the middle class don't pay as much, and end tolls, and that's safer bridges. So that's one idea. Another idea would be to build nuclear power plants in upstate New York. Many people in upstate New York want them in their own areas. They want them in the North Country. Build them there. And then we sell the, the, the state sells the energy and then creates a fund. The Norwegians do this. Um, the Singaporeans do this. And the fund can help pay for health care. This way we don't have to worry about raising taxes to pay for our Social Security and our Medicaid bills. We can do these types of things raising money without having to raise taxes and still be able to pay for services that we need for our state. Right now, all we do is keep raising taxes and fees. Our budget is now $212 billion. Billion. That is larger than all but 20 countries on the planet and California. That's how big that budget is. Now, as an example, Florida has more people than we have. More people and half the budget. We're doing something wrong. It's a problem. Well, part of the problem we know is, is, is corruption. Part of the problem is greed. Absolutely. Yep. And, and unfortunately, the people who pay the price are the average Joe's who pay the bulk of the taxes and struggle to live Absolutely every single correct. day. And, 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 you know, it, it, it is, I think it, it's a movement that's beginning to, uh, I, I can smell it. There's a movement that is growing larger and larger, like a lot like the, a lot like the other movements that we've seen over the last few years, because people are are beginning to are becoming desperate, and they were desperate yep. before COVID. Now they're really desperate, and they're looking down, you know, rent moratorium, you know, being gone, uh, unemployment being gone, banks going after them now, you know, uh, breadwinners being gone. You know, there's there's a whole destructive. Um, result of this pandemic that is going to leave a lot of people out there. Yes. And so we have to find other ways of raising money so we can pay for what we need to pay for 
without raising taxes yet again. The people of New York are not going to be able to handle more and more taxes. We just can't. New York has lost about 2 million people in the last 11 years. And again, our budget keeps going up, yet our population keeps going down. That means the average person has to pay more. That's regular everyday math. We can figure this out without going through, you know, anything special. We can't keep taxing people um, and raising our, 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 our budget without, you know, people have to simply pay more. And at one point, people are going to say, I don't want to pay anymore. And what are they doing? They're physically leaving. And as they leave, it doesn't make anything better because the budget still keeps going up. So now whoever is left, well, now they're paying more. This, this is not working. This is unsustainable. So I've, I've listened to a few of, uh, of your uh, ideas, and, and I actually have to say, and I'm usually very honest, this is real talk. I really like a lot of what you had to say. Um, oh, I'm glad. Are you going to run for office in the next election? There's an opening. I am looking at it now. I'm, I'm looking for um, money and support to see if it makes sense. I'm and what would you do differently? I, I would raise a whole lot more money up front. <laughs> That's for sure. I would raise a whole lot more money up front because sadly, most of them don't know this. Again, people always say, well, Larry, you got to bet it. You guys should, should get your name out there. What I hear all the time that drives me crazy. People go, you should get on TV, you get on CNN, you got to get Cost on Cost money. They don't let you on. Yes. I can't just call up CNN and say, hey, Don Levin, put me on an eight. That doesn't happen. They ignore me. So I have to be able to, to get covered. So I actually was asking, this is a true story, why I wasn't being covered in newspapers and on TV. And they told me very forward, well, you don't buy ads. Yeah. So if I buy ads, I get covered. Right. It's about money. So I got to have thousands of dollars to buy ads on TV and to buy ads in newspapers so I can get covered. Well, you so can, I wasn't you can. in the polls. So there's, there's no polling, right? How do you know where Larry Sharp is polling? There's no polls. So I'd ask, why am I not in the polls? They tell me, you don't buy the polls. How much does the poll cost? $40,000 to run a poll. Well, well guess how what? I, gonna, I, don't, I can, gotta raise that kind of money. You can get so, free publicity on 247 Real Talk at any time during your race. Well, I appreciate that. That's amazing. <laughs> I like that. So I, yes. This is how I got on Joe Rogan. It's how I got on Dave Rubin. It's how I got on Glenn Beck. Well, Joe so Rogan is, 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 the big, is the big one, yes. Yes, I got on Joe Rogan. So I got on those. But, you know, a lot of, I needed New Yorkers who vote to see me. And a right. lot of them don't watch Joe Rogan. Okay. Well, uh, as, I said, as I said before, you know, I like a lot of what you had to say, and I think that change is necessary. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I don't have Joe Grogan's audience size, but, I, uh, but mine is large and it's growing. And you're welcome to, you know, back here as many times as you need to if, if your decision is to run to, to get your ideas and, 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 you know, to get your information out there. And I'll be one of those sources because we, we have to have change. This whole two party system yeah. is just not work. It's just not, you know, it, 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 it's, it, I don't know if people don't realize it, how, how polarized these two parties have them and the destructiveness that they're actually doing to our lives and they don't care. So that's correct. They're not even trying to stop it. No. So the last thing I want to ask you as I wrap this up is I got to give you this chance. Tell me about your book on happiness. Well, the reality of it is I think the most important thing in life is trying to be happy. Um, I think the Libertarian Party and the movement is actually about happiness. What do I mean by that? There is nothing I could actually give you, physically give you, 
that would make you and everybody else happy now and in 10 years. It's impossible. But I can have an environment that will allow you to be happier. That I can do. So I want to do that. I want to try to make a, an environment that allows you to be happy. And the government should be doing that. And people should be doing that. So I, I put, I, I'm writing a book on happiness. For someone to be happy, they have to have three things. They have to feel like they are loved. They have to feel like they are respected. And they have to have purpose. If all three of those things are true, the odds are you're going to be pretty happy. Those are the odds. You may not be, but the odds are going to be pretty happy. If you have only you know, two of those, it's pretty easy to find the third one. Right? If I've got two, I can probably find the third one. But if I don't have two, it's harder, right? What if I only have one of them? Well, then I can become obsessed. And I don't want that. I want people to understand how to find happiness and to search for it. And I think we can. And I, my, my, my book is autobiographical. It talks about me and all the problems I've had in my life and how I've moved forward and how I failed. And I want people to understand that I have failed many times. And I understand where they're going, what they're going through, because I've been through it too. So the hope is people will buy the book. They will look at it and say, you know what? This stuff makes sense. We do have to try to find these things. And if you can look at the book and look in your life and say, wait a minute, I only have one of these. Okay, how do I find the other two? Or wait a minute, I have two of them. How do I find one? Or worse, I have none of them. And that's why I feel self-destructive. Because if you don't feel loved, if you don't feel respected, if you don't have purpose, you will be self-destructive. That's just human nature. And I don't want you to be self-destructive. Fantastic. But I also have something else. Sometimes when people are in a bad spot, they think, it'd be better if I'm not here. That's a common thought. Yes. And what I would say is, sometimes when you're in a bad spot, helping you is exactly what someone else needs for them to be happy. Sometimes your pain can be somebody else's purpose. So don't think it's better if you're gone. It might be better if you let somebody help you. Yes, that, that, is, that is fantastic, fantastic advice. And on the last word for this episode, I'm going to allow you to um, leave us with a statement or a thought about 2022 elections and, and Larry Sharp. Has any politician ever talked to you about happiness? And I will bet that answer is no. But not just that. Has any politician, when asked a specific question, as you've heard today, given an actual answer, not just pandering, not just, well, we're going to care about you and care and care and the other guy bad? Or did someone actually give you a real answer? Whether you agreed with it or not, did you get an actual answer? Because if you get an actual answer, then we have to talk about solutions and not just who's bad and who's good. That's what I'm trying to achieve. If you find value in that, maybe it's time to stop voting Democrat vote. Fantastic. I'm on that word. I'm going to thank you so much for being a guest on 247 Real Talk. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure, a learning experience, a great conversation. And um, you've left me and I'm sure my audience with a lot to think about. So thank you so much for being a guest on 247 Real Talk. Thank you, sir. If you feel interested, please check out either LarrySharp.com or SharpWay.com, which is my podcast. 
Larry Sharp is my, my policy. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say a very, very special thank you to my guest, Mr. Larry Sharp, for a really great and engaging conversation and for sharing his knowledge about politics and everything in politics with us on this episode. I also, as always, want to thank my audience and my supporters for making this podcast possible and for your continued support. Reminding you that you can listen to this episode and any episode of 247 Real Talk on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to leave a message for my guests, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>